Morning. How are you doing? Good? All right. Uh, well, you know, God has continued to do pretty amazing things through this church, and as a result of that, uh, that has enabled us to hire another pastor on our staff, which is kind of a cool moment uh, for our church. We're really excited about it. Uh, we've recently hired Josh Pollard as our adult ministries pastor. So I'm going to call Josh on stage. I'd love to introduce him to you at, at this point. Uh, Josh is going to be, uh, there he is, uh, <laughs> is going to be overseeing our platform. They didn't clap for me on my first day either. So, <clears throat> um, Josh is going to be overseeing our, our volunteer ministries, uh, outreach ministries. That's like uh, provide and shared in story, all of our missions, and all of house groups. So that's a, that's a lot, but with the exception of I'll still be doing the videos. And so I just wanted to let you meet Josh a little bit, so ask him a few questions, and we'll go from there. So tell us a little bit about uh, where you came from, your school, yeah. your family, that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, well, my name's Josh, uh, Josh Pollard. I'm from Los Angeles, California. And uh, I'm married. My wife's name is Amy. She's somewhere in this blur. You can't there. see anyone. Very right yeah. here. Um, we have two daughters, a three-year-old, Juliana, and a six-month-old, who's Layla, and they're awesome. Um, they're also from California, so we're all from California. Um, I uh, got my undergraduate degree in youth ministry with an emphasis in church ministry uh, from Azusa Pacific University, and I finished up my Master's of Divinity from Fuller Seminary with uh, concentration in Christian ethics, and uh, we're very excited to be here. Cool. Yeah. What, uh, what is it uh, specifically that excites you about being on staff, about being yeah. in pastoral ministry here? Yeah, well, you know, I, um, when I was applying for positions, I actually uh, saw this one pop up several times, and eventually I just felt like, yeah, you know, I'll apply for this one. I hesitated at first, just only so much time on my hands, but this one stuck out, and from the first moment getting to know the church, it's been super clear that this is where God's been preparing me for. Um, I've just gotten to know a church that is hungry for more of God, a church that is thirsty for more prayer and more scripture, a church that is, uh, has leadership that's humble and ready to beg for more of the Holy Spirit's power to be evident, a church that is expectant of the kingdom of God to be spreading throughout our community and abroad. And I think that in the roles that I get to play here, I get to see that firsthand. With house groups, I get to see the fruits of the Holy Spirit just come alive. Community being born new every day, being regenerated. Uh, with missions, I get to see the kingdom of God being spread far and near, and that the churches there and the churches here are growing and encouraging each other. And uh, to get to see people, see the Holy Spirit be gods of, the God of people that are very different is very encouraging. What an amazing thing to get to see firsthand. And I get to do that. You know, with outreach, I get to watch our church reach our hand out, just like Christ would, to serve people in our community. And uh, that's pretty amazing. With my volunteers, my, my ministry teams, you guys are awesome. You know, I get to watch the spiritual discipline of humble service being played out every week. And uh, to see that, uh, that fruit of reliable uh, selflessness being just fostered in people is really powerful. And so I'm really glad to get to do what I've... Uh, been given so cool yeah uh, last question for you how excited would you say your family is on a scale of one to ten for a minnesota winter <laughs> gets cold uh i think we're really excited we get to brag about it to all our friends back home <laughs> that we get more credit i think you know very cool very yeah. cool well i'm just i want to take this time and I, I i want as a church i want us to just pray over josh as he just starts 
his ministry here and, and shepherds us in our ministry. So if you feel comfortable, you can uh, reach out a hand. You don't have to, but I'm just going to pray over Josh that the Lord would just move through him. Lord, we just pray uh, for Josh as he shepherds, as he uh, just, as he pastors us, and as he leads in our church, that you would be with him, that you would lead through him, and that you would use him to help us be a people being changed by you to change the world. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, thank you, sir. Uh, Josh will be out in the hallway uh, after the service, too. If you want to meet him, that would be uh, great. He would love to do that. All right, we are continuing in the book of Luke this morning. Uh, There's a Bible under every chair if you want to follow along with the Word of God. Uh, We're going to be on page 842, uh, or uh, you can use the Renovation Church app as well. Uh, We're actually going to be in chapter 10 this morning. We're going to skip over the very last passage in chapter 9 uh, because uh, Ben Pierce, when he was here, actually gave an excellent message on that exact passage uh, just last year. It's uh, called Enemies of Impact, if you want to listen online. So we're in uh, chapter 10, book of Luke, uh, starting at verse 1. We're actually going to get through 16 verses today. We'll do a little bit on the first half and kind of concentrate on the second half. Okay, verse 1. It says, After this, the Lord, Jesus, appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. All right, let's just pause there for a minute or two. This passage is actually really similar to the beginning of Luke chapter 9. If you glance at that, uh, that's where Jesus sent out the 12 disciples to essentially do the same thing, except now he's sending out 72 people to go spread the good news. Uh, Once again, one of the things you probably noticed in here is there's yet another gospel that has Jesus saying these famous words of the harvest That's the amount of people who need God is plentiful, but what we're lacking in is workers. This is a major point of teaching for us as Christians. We need more people who are going to dedicate their lives to helping reach people. And that doesn't mean that you have to be in ministry or anything, but you've just dedicated your life at work in your neighborhood to bring the kingdom of God to people. And we need more people who are going to go to the nations, who are going to dedicate their life to pastoral ministry because the harvest is a plentiful. Uh, speaking of, uh, I want to thank uh, the 20 or so of you that are taking the risk to help us start yet another church, a transformed church, uh, which is going to be on the Ham Lake Andover border. Uh, by the way, that's, let me just say something to that. That's not actually that far from here, right? But I want you to keep in mind uh, two things. As we uh, plant a church a little bit west, uh, keep in mind that we are moving a few miles to the east Uh, And just a little bit, we're actually breaking ground on our building, uh, most likely in a little over nine months. How crazy is that, by the way? And then secondly, keep in mind that just in Blaine Coon Rapids, a ham lake in Andover alone, there are over 100,000 people that don't know Jesus Christ. Uh, We could plant 10 churches in these cities, and maybe we need to. So again, a big thank you. Now we've sent out 40 people from our church 
to go start other churches just in the last 12 months. So we are living by faith, okay? All right, let's continue in this passage. So Jesus, out of love, he sends his messengers out with a message of repentance and salvation because without salvation, people are lost for all of eternity. So we're going to take a look now. These are going to be challenging words from Jesus. So verse 10, he says this, But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day. And when you see the day in scripture, that means the day of judgment. For Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades, to hell. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. Okay. This is a hard word from Jesus, particularly for us in modern day. I'll just give you a preface right now. Today's message might be one of the, I don't know, maybe top 10 most intense messages I've ever preached in 750 or so messages. If you're new, if this is your first time, or your second or third time, I, I would tell you this isn't necessarily a typical Sunday, but this is what indeed Jesus said in our text. And so I, I believe if the Son of God said it, we would be foolish to avoid it. So we're going to look at it. So Jesus today is talking about God's judgment. He's talking about wrath. And many people, they want to take these words and just rip them right out of the Bible. We prefer a different, a different type of Jesus in our culture. So, for example, in Matthew's gospel about Jesus, Matthew actually resort, uh, records these exact same words about wrath and judgment, uh, almost verbatim in his uh, chapter 11. And then just four verses after he talks about this sort of judgment in hell, Jesus then says, it's the same message, same talk. Four verses later, he says these famous words many of you are familiar with, where he says, All who are weary and heavy laden, come to me, and I will give you rest. And I think Americans, we love that verse. We love that version of Jesus. Oh, that's the Jesus that we want. But we can't take that Jesus if only 20 seconds earlier in the exact same message, he talked about hell and judgment. We can't say, oh, we just want that Jesus. We don't get to pick one or the other. In fact, they make sense logically only when they go together. Jesus, is his warning actually in the text is sandwiched in between two loving invitations to come to him. So let's just try and play this out philosophically a little bit because I know this is hard for a lot of us as modern day people to kind of swallow these sort of texts. Okay, let's say, let's just take one of them. If God was only a God of justice and not a God of mercy and love, then would that be a good God? Oh, we say, no. Well, if there's no mercy, if there's no justice or forgiveness, then we'd all be doomed in our sins. Okay, well, let's take the other aspect then. What if God was only a God of love, only a God of mercy and not of justice? 
I would even say that's almost the exact God that most people, if they're not atheists, that most people in modern day want. If they could create a God, that's the one they would create, that he is just a God of love. That, you know, he's not angry at anyone, he just loves everyone for everything. Okay, there's a philosophical problem with that, though. The problem is, if you have a God who has no justice... That's actually a weak God. That's an apathetic God. That's a powerless God. That's a God who would have to look down on the Hitlers and the Bin Ladens of the world and just sort of shrug his shoulders. That's a God that apparently doesn't care about rape or injustice or racism or evil. See, when when we say as a society that we just want a God of love, What we're saying, whether we recognize it or not, is that we don't want God to be moral, to take moral stances. And yet I find in our age, ironically, we are a fiercely moral people. I would say even more so than we were 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, You can go online, read any news site that you want. Uh, Pick one on the left. Is this your left? No, that was not. Uh, Pick one on the left. Or the right, it's hard, I'm backwards. On the left or the right, you pick any side you want, go to any news site, and you'll find that everybody is angry about some sort of injustice. Okay? It could be global warming, it could be poverty, perhaps it's abortion, perhaps it's sexual sin. It doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum, everybody is angry about some sort of perceived injustice. I mean, even think, okay, I want you to think about what are the top maybe two things that make you just angry about the state of the world? You go, that's just wrong. What are they? Just think of it in your head for a second. Now, I want you to imagine that those very things that you just thought of don't make God angry. That he has no sense of justice for those things. That God has no anger towards racism. What kind of God is that? That God has no anger about people going and scamming the elderly. That God has no anger towards injustice. I was just reading the other day, speaking of injustice, about children in Pakistan that are basically forced into work slavery and forced to make bricks all day at the age of five. Am I to believe that God doesn't believe that certain things are wrong? and worthy of justice. Am I to believe that when children in this world are just ripped from their mothers and forced into a world of sex trafficking, that God, because he's not a God of justice and only of love, just sort of sheepishly smiles at that? See, when we use sort of examples like this, any sort of thinking person, and maybe you're doing this in your head, is going to respond to that and go, okay, well, no, not that. Of course God is going to bring justice on people like that. Like, as soon as you ratchet sin up a little bit and we start talking about corrupt political leaders and genocidal maniacs, actually then the world is typically out for blood. <laughs> we typically want justice. We say, yes, God should bring justice on those people. But for me, in my life, God is just a God of love. Do you see our hypocrisy as a culture and that sort of thinking? Our inconsistency if we really want to be good thinkers? 
I think we justify it by saying, well, see, but my sins are different in magnitude. They're different. I'm not that person. They're not as serious. Well, then you'd have to ask the question, okay, but where are we going to draw the line? Like, well, where do you draw the line between where God is supposed to bring justice and then on the other side of the line where he's just love? Who gets to decide where the line is? And I think for most people in America, they would say, well, I get to decide where the line is. That's well, convenient, right? Okay, what is the true picture of God? I think this is a, we, we want to be a thinking church. So I think this is a rational picture of God, and I think this is a true picture of God. It's what the Bible actually paints. And the Bible says that we all are sinners. It's actually what comes most natural to us. And for sin, there must be justice, a reckoning. All sin must be paid for, including yours and mine. See, but when you have God as a God of justice and of love, what you get is Jesus on the cross. That God, because he's just, sent his son Jesus to absorb the wrath meant for your sin. And because he loves you, he says that if you would believe in him, if you would become his follower, he would, in justice, take that wrath off of you and on to his son. That's a God of justice and of love. And you could be completely forgiven. That's what we call being saved. That's getting eternal life to go to heaven. Okay, I think that was important for us to establish in a year like 2019, but now that we have, let's dive a little deeper into this text. So look at verse 12. These are, Jesus is speaking now about the towns that have rejected the message of his 72 messengers. He says, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day of judgment for Sodom than for that town. Now, I don't know if you are familiar with the town Sodom or not. If you go back to the book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible, you'll see that God was incredibly angry with just the sheer wickedness of the town of Sodom. In fact, God sent angels to the town of Sodom, and the men of Sodom tried to rape the angels. God couldn't find even 10 people in the town that weren't completely immersed in wickedness. And so God rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah, and they were completely destroyed. Okay, that's intense, right? So keeping that in mind, Jesus says on the day of judgment, it's actually going to be more bearable. It's going to be easier for the people of Sodom than these particular towns that are now rejecting his 72 messengers. Why? It was because Sodom didn't have people that were sent by Jesus himself with the very good news of the kingdom. Jesus sort of fleshes this point out a little bit more over the next few verses as he talks about a couple more towns. So look at 13 through 15 again. We're going to look at this closely now. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin. We'll talk about these towns. Uh, Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable, it's the same sort of phraseology here, for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. This is Jesus talking, okay? So Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, these are all towns that are along the Sea of Galilee. 
Uh, these are the towns where Jesus did a ton of his ministry in. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000, for example, was most likely right in this area. Uh, Jesus uh, did many miraculous healings in this area, and a lot of his teaching happened there. And yet, apparently, many of the people in these towns, after seeing the Son of God in person with their own eyes, after seeing his miracles in person, still didn't turn their lives over to God. And so he compares them to these other past towns of Tyre and Sidon. Now, unless you've done a ton of reading of the Old Testament, you might not know a lot about those particular towns. These are Gentile cities. It's a non-Jewish city further north of Galilee, right up on the Mediterranean coast. And in the Old Testament, those two towns in particular are often condemned by the Old Testament prophets, and they were condemned for a couple of things, for their pagan worship, and mostly just for their pride that they had in their own wealth, in their own culture, and their own trade. Uh, You could almost think of them, uh, as modern-day comparison, you could think of them as towns like New York City, or Los Angeles. They're, They're sort of business and cultural center of the time. But there weren't in those towns a, a high proportion of people that were actually following God. And again, knowing that, Jesus actually says something pretty shocking. He's saying, on Judgment Day, it will be better off for the people from those big cities than the people who heard the truth from Jesus but didn't change their lives. And they didn't repent. Okay, this is intense, right? I just want to say to you as an aside, this is one of the reasons that we as a church often just go verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Because when you're just sort of picking out topics, it's not like we as a church would say, you know what would be fun? If we did a message on the one where he says it would be more bearable, we just, we don't, right? But when you go verse by verse, you say, this is the words of Jesus. We, we ha- for our sake, we need to talk about them. So he said it, what do we do with it? For one, I say we take it, we take it seriously. You know, we let go of these sort of weak cultural arguments. We say, well, that doesn't really make sense to my culture. And we talk about it. You know, I read a lot of history, a lot of biography, and one of the things I've been really struck by is in the 1800s, which is a lot of what I read from, they talk about hell all the time. And I think one of the reasons that they did is because people were dying all the time. It wasn't uncommon for you to get typhoid or diphtheria. I was like the Oregon Trail, right? You just, you just, you, I shouldn't have said something funny right now. You, 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 people were dying all the time at 20, at 25, at 30, unexpectedly. And so they talked often about heaven and hell. But now we live so long that we kind of just, we just put it off. We just file it in the back of our minds as if, I don't know, maybe someday or maybe it's not even true. The great A.W. Tozer once uh, stingingly wrote this. He said, The vague and tenuous hope that God is too kind to punish the ungodly has become a deadly opiate. That thought is sort of lulling us to sleep for the consciences of millions. It hushes their fears and allows them to practice all pleasant forms of iniquity, of sin, while death draws every day nearer and the command to repent to change your life goes unregarded. It's not convenient for us to think about these sort of things, so we just don't. And pastors kind of skip over these messages, and maybe we, when we read our Bibles on our own, we just kind of glaze over them. 
But friends, these are the words of the Son of God. We cannot ignore them. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus said this about judgment and hell, was he lying? If he wasn't, if he's telling the truth, then judgment for ignoring his offer of salvation is incredibly serious. And every single person in this room is a soul. You exist longer than your time on earth. Every single person in this room will someday be residing in either heaven or in hell. The question is, will you let Jesus Christ, who loves you, take the punishment for your sin on himself by giving your life to him? Or will you let it stay on you and thus go to hell? And I think we must humbly, we must fearfully acknowledge that now that we know the truth, to reject it is serious business. I mean, think about this text. Jesus, Jesus told his followers that if the city would reject them, that they should go out publicly in the city while people are watching and wipe the dust off their feet while everyone watched, saying the kingdom of God has come near to you, to you, and you rejected it. And thus God will reject you when you meet him. God is saying, if I let my own son be bruised, be battered, bleed on a cross for you, and you say to him, no thank you. If that, he's saying, if that won't convince you of my love, then nothing ever will. And you won't ever want to be with me. We like to think, oh, of course, but when I die and I saw you, then I would want you. The people of Capernaum of Bethsaida, they saw him with their own eyes. And they still held on to their own flesh and their own lives, saying, I won't turn my life over to him. If this message isn't intense enough, Jesus actually ratchets it up even another notch. Twice in this section, he says that judgment will be more tolerable for the people in those wicked cities rather than for the people who heard the message right in front of them. You know what he's saying? If we apply that to modern day, he's saying that judgment is actually going to be more tolerable for the people of Amsterdam, for the people of Bangkok, than it will be for the people of Blaine, Minnesota, who are sitting in Renovation Church, hear the message plainly, but still refuse to accept the sacrificial gift of life from Jesus Christ. The more you hear of God's truth, the more accountable you are to it. And so I ask you, have you given your life to Jesus Christ to let him save you? It's not enough to just think favorably of Jesus. 
It's not enough to just ask him for help sometimes. It's not enough to just like him. Not love him with your life. That's what the people of Capernaum did. They liked Jesus. Good reviews. They were amazed by his teaching. But what were they lacking? What were they lacking? It says it right in the text. Look at verse 13 one more time. Woe to you, Chores, and woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. That's what the people didn't do. They didn't repent. They were impressed with Jesus. They liked him, but they didn't repent. Repent is to look at your life and say, I'm not going to live like that anymore. Repent means to turn. I'm going to turn my life and cast it upon Jesus. It means that if he died for me, then I will die to my old life. And I will give it to him. All of us have sinned, okay? If you're here today and you're just feeling the weight of your sin, all of us have sinned. If you sat me down and forced me to watch a video of maybe my 10 biggest sins, if there is such a thing, I couldn't bear to even watch it. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve the holy and just wrath of God for my life. We all do. And yet after seeing the mess I would make of my life, God still decided to take his wrath that was meant for me and put it on his own son. Can you believe that somebody loves you that much? That Jesus would know all of your ugliness, all of it, and then take the wrath meant for you on himself. That is the truth of God that sits in front of you plainly right now. And to do anything but to give your life to Jesus is to reject him. It's to say, I like him, but I don't love him. He's not looking for you anymore to just squeeze him in here or there. He's looking for you to die to your old life and surrender to him. For many of you in here that have been walking with Christ already, this text for us just means that we need to get serious again about Jesus. Life is short. And for some of you in this room, if you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you just kind of, ah, you like him, you've just kind of been on the fence. Give your life to him today. Let him save you from hell, from judgment. He's dying to offer you eternal life in heaven. To come into your life, just radically change it with his love. But that's a decision that every person has to make, you included. Will you give your life to Jesus? And let him save you. Or will you reject him? I want you to be forgiven. If you've never made this decision to believe in Jesus before. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to actually invite the band uh, back on stage uh, right now. We're going to do a final song. If you are here. And you're ready. To become a follower of Jesus for the first time. You want to accept his gift. Of forgiveness by letting that wrath fall on Jesus and not on you. We're going to sing this last song, and if you want to make this decision today and you want to become a Christian, which Christian just means Christ follower, you want to be forgiven, 
I want you to walk to the front. You just stand here looking at the band, stand in front of the stage, and walk forward as an act of giving your life to Christ. I don't care if you're 12 or 82 years old. If it's time to give your life to Christ, I'm just going to be standing down here. I want you to walk to the front anytime during this last song and let him forgive you. Just let him wash over you and let his justice come off of you and onto Jesus. And I, I, listen, I, don't, don't say to yourself, I would just be so embarrassed to do that. Listen, if you were one day to be sentenced to hell, you're never going to say, oh good, at least I wasn't embarrassed that one day in church. Okay? Just give your life to Christ. If now is the time, let him just change your life. So if he's telling you, you need to surrender your life to him and be forgiven, even if you've been coming to church for a while, but you just never have made this decision, make it today, okay? All right, anytime in this last song, you can come down. Let's worship.